This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, website, portfolio, or online store. To create your own space, visit squarespace.com and save 10% by using offer code TREK10. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Follow Standard Orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take a seat. I say... Joy to you, friends. Welcome to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's newest series about Star Trek's oldest series, the original series. This is a show where we dive into the characters, concepts, cliches, and other things that don't start with C about the original series. My name is Drew, or Landrew, and I'm the TOS editor for the network, and with me today, as usual, is Mike from Commentary Track Stars. Hello. How's it going? It's good. It's good. I'm excited for our first character show, the first C show. And of course, we'll start with a hard C sounding name, Kirk. Captain starts with C. Captain also starts with C. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of C's and, and C sounding letters here on the show today. But uh like ever all the other shows, I figured we'd start with uh with rolling really rolling into the series with uh with a, a study of the captain and what makes our captain, the best captain that ever existed in the history of all Star Trek captains. In the history of all captains ever. Captains ever. Fictional, yeah. non fiction No, I'm just kidding. I don't want to start that whole debate. I'm not kidding. He's the, best. <laughs> He's the best captain in the history of captains. <laughs> From Captain Hook <laughs> to oh. Captain Pike. There you go. <laughs> and beyond. All right. So, so we'll start in. Uh, about why we obviously both love Captain Kirk. Uh, Mike, why why do you love Captain Kirk? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with what you were talking about a few weeks ago, um, where Star Trek, the original series, really is sort of the core of the franchise. If you look at it, that is kind of the, the baseline for the rest of the franchise you know any time that there was a spin-off show or anything like that it was always okay it's like the original series but in the future it's like the original series but on a space station you know everything has to have sort of a qualifier whereas the original series just is that thing and in the same sort of way i think that captain kirk is the quintessential star trek captain and every other captain is a variation on him. You know, Picard, he's like Captain Kirk, but old and more thoughtful. Uh, Cisco, he's like Captain Kirk, but he doesn't want to be there. You know, and, and that type of thing. And while I love some of the other captains, I do think that Captain Kirk is the best because he is the ideal he's the guy who you want to follow he's the guy who you trust uh when he's in command and he is sort of at least in the original series i'm speaking in broad terms here infallible you know he is the guy he is the man of action and yet he knows exactly what he's doing he knows how to accomplish his mission and he does so on a weekly basis and he's the best. Even the other captains admit that. Yeah. 
there's at least one episode in every series where they're just like, man, Kirk was the coolest, wasn't he? Yep, and they're right. They're right. They're all Star Trek fans, you know? I mean, they what's, know what's, what's Cisco? The last thing he does before he travels back to the future, he's just like, I just want to get Kirk's autograph. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And even even the people who are trying to get him in trouble for traveling through time are like, yeah, I would have done that too. Uh, when Picard meets Captain Kirk and he's like all awestruck and everything like that, he's like, can I have your autograph? And Kirk's <laughs> like, sure, that'll be $100. And then he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, things like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I can totally understand why they would be in awe of him because he is the best and i also like the fact that just kind of like looking at it from the outside or whatever the reason why they're all in awe of him i think what what i love about it is you're doing a weekly series where the stakes are super high and lots of times they're saving the world in the movies they save the world a few times they even make jokes about how many times they save the world <laughs> and that's just sort of the nature of doing an action adventure show but then when you're doing a spin-off where this thing this guy has done these things i think it's great that the people of the future really do look at him as a hero because like he is a guy who saved the world multiple times i mean we don't have anyone who has done that today you know no one has ever saved the world i mean maybe a few people have come close or whatever but captain kirk has done that so it makes sense that he would be a legend a hero in side of star trek continuity yeah they could have really played it down like oh every captain back then you know didn't obey the rules and they just shot from the hip and all that kind of stuff but they they deliberately kept it as kirk maybe as fear that the original fans from the 60s would riot Mm -hmm. and i'm i'm still honestly surprised that nobody did you know, the next generation. I think I would have been one of those people. You can't do Star Trek without Kirk. My but. aunt, my aunt was like that uh, for for years. The one who who lent me the movies. You know, she she didn't she didn't watch the Next Generation because she was like, well, I, this is ridiculous. You know, she watched like the first episode. She's like, what what is this? You know, and and it was after I had become a fan where I was like, you know, you should check out this stuff. That she started watching the reruns and got into it, but. I can definitely see the resistance, you know. I I think if if it if I were in that situation, I don't think I would have said that like just knowing sort of how I approach other media which has been similar, I think I would have been all for it. And while I may not have thought it was as good as the original series, I definitely would have given it a fair shot. No, I would have been in the opposite <laughs> camp. I'm pretty sure I would have been nope, nope, nope. But <laughs> Once I finally, you know, really got into everything, all, you know, Deep Space Nine was in its prime at the time, and there was a whole bunch of series, and they were moving on to Voyager, and Star Trek Beyond Kirk was already established by that point. But Kirk, I like Kirk because he did shoot from the hip. He was very, you know, always leading the away message, always commanding people, expecting the best from everyone. I think one of the things that I really like about Kirk in general, is if if you stop and you think about it, he doesn't just throw red shirts at a problem till it goes away. I know that there's the that red shirt card game where the job is to expend as many red shirts as possible in order to accomplish the mission in in the most deadly way. Like this is this has become some kind of trope, but I don't understand it because 
every time that somebody dies, Kirk is visibly distraught about it. From from the very beginning to the very end, he does not like it when someone under his command dies. He has a real problem sacrificing other people for the good. He He's always first in line on the away missions. He's always the first in line... Uh, you know, when they're, they're leading, uh, you know, a revolt, he's, he's always right there. He's not, he's not delegating it to somebody else because I think that he feels that, I don't think he feels that if he doesn't do it, it's not going to be done right. I think it's, it's a real problem with letting go and letting other people sacrifice, uh, on his behalf. City on the Edge of Forever is about him letting Edith go, that she has to die for the future. And it's, visibly hard on him and moving into like star trek 2 it really breaks kirk up that i think that he didn't think of going down there and fixing it which i mean I'm, i'll bring it up i i like into darkness you like you like the new jj movies too and i like that aspect of kirk that this kirk is willing to sacrifice himself it does sacrifice himself and and I think that that is definitely part of his character and has been from the very beginning. Kirk is the guy on the front lines. Not to say that Picard, because he's not allowed to or doesn't go on away missions, is weak. Because he makes he makes the decisions of who to sacrifice on his behalf, which which is even harder. But Kirk not willing to do that, I think, is is a big character point that I really like about him. Yeah, I think. Um... Part of the perception that people have of him being someone who is willing to sacrifice his crew members and not really care about it is not so much because of what you see in the character in an individual episode, but what you see in the character on the series on the whole. And I think a lot of that has to do with just the format which was being used for the show and, and the fact that it's from you know, a different era of television where things were designed to be essentially um, individual uh, stories without much continuity. So you see a red shirt die because it's an easy in for, you know, the writer to show that there's danger on this planet or whatever. And it's not like Kirk is willing to send a red shirt there to be sacrificed. Kirk's usually standing there too, and it just happens to be the red shirt who gets knocked off instead of Kirk. It's just Kirk. It's just luck of the draw. But then when we see, and he is broken up about it. He is upset every time that someone under his command dies. I think, you know, the perception comes when people in the modern era, then watch the next episode, which happens to be on the same DVD right afterwards. And Kirk doesn't make reference to the fact that the person before on the episode before died or, or anything like that. It's just something that happens on a weekly basis because the original series does definitely have the largest death toll of any of the, the shows, at least in terms of crew members. So I think that has a lot to do with why people think that he is sort of heartless when it comes to the lives of his crew, but he, but he's not. Yeah, it, it was an anthology show in space. That was the that was the idea, and they couldn't keep referencing. Oh, remember when Edith died? Right. Because you know the the '60s audience back then are going to be like, I didn't see last week's episode, especially when they started moving it around to all the different time slots. Mm -hmm. So. 
they would have easily lost even more people. Like, oh, I finally found Star Trek again. What are they talking about? Yeah. And and in terms of what you were saying about his character development in Into Darkness, that's one of the things that I really like about the new movies is that it, we get to see Kirk before he becomes the person that he becomes in the show. Because there's a lot of uh, almost uh, contradictory personality traits, you know, where he is this sort of um, adventurer who takes risks which he probably shouldn't be taking, but at the same time he's usually right. He is the captain who doesn't really make mistakes for the most part on the original series. And I think what we're seeing with the movies is what he was like before he had that personal restraint or before he had the 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 logic or the um ability to be a good captain we just see him as the reckless adventurer and you know seeing this transition into what he has become on the original series i think is really cool and i know that a lot of people have said that but i think a lot of people miss it too and it's a big part of why those movies work for me i agree i not i never really thought about it like that but uh, i like that speaking of movies once they get out of the anthology and go on to the movies where they can assume that you've seen star trek 2 before you see star trek 3 we get a glut of continuity and we get a great character arc for kirk really starting with star trek 2 and it kind of goes through five and six. I mean, you could even say it starts with, with one, where he becomes an admiral, you know, and he's, I mean, I guess he kind of reverts in that, and then, but I mean, you do see, I guess, from the original series to one, a progression. Mm -hmm. He's an admiral, and he's, but he's still that adventurer, and he can't let go of that, you know? He just can't sit behind a desk, and then, at the end of that, he gets back into the chair, and then gets out of it so you can take out one and just say whatever but you could also look at the progression from the original series to the motion picture and it's certainly there but getting but getting back to two you know what, what you were saying with two and how you know there is a, a, de a definite progression over the course of the movies as well that's definitely true i like that they take him and put him in a different place at the start of the movies since so much time has passed but then they don't stop there. It's not like it becomes episodic once you get into the movies in terms of his character development either. They continue to grow the character. So Star Trek Two is where we probably see the most change in him because he's starting to deal with the fact that maybe he's not perfect. And it's the first time that we see him not being perfect on a weekly basis. Yeah, Star Trek Two is about, and I hate it when movies do this, but it's about being too old. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from the Star Trek movies is in Star Trek Six, when Spock tells Kirk, uh, have we become too old and inflexible that, uh, that we become resistant to change? That's not exactly the quote, but that's that seems to be the difference that that seems to be the the arc that the characters go through in the movies in that you know Kirk finds out that he has a son and that starts an arc of him trying to be a father figure but then he loses his son in Star Trek 3 and then he loses Spock in 2 and there's a lot of 
loss and and trying to make up for lost time that I feel is important to Kirk as a character. It would be disingenuous to sort of continue on the same path that he was on in the original series and pretend like they kind of do in some other ways that he hasn't aged at all. You know, that's that's a mistake. I mean, I think that's kind of what happened with motion picture. And, you know, Nicholas Meyer, whoever it was, realized that and said, you know what, instead of trying to hide the fact that these people are getting older, let's embrace it and make a story about that. And I think that that's really cool. Yeah, it's a strong choice to do that. But the other thing that I think is cool is that it doesn't um, take the stance of, you know, oh, well, they're old, and that makes them useless, you know? I mean, that's that's one of the things that uh, Meyer has talked about with the Wrath of Khan and with Kirk being an admiral, and that sort of being a, a very typical situation where where someone proves that they are the best at their job, and that leads to a promotion where they're no longer doing that job, but instead sitting behind a desk doing essentially nothing. Yeah. It's like, that's a waste, you know? And and just because someone's older doesn't mean that they're not still very valuable. In, in some ways, in the case of, of Kirk, he's probably more valuable. He can't go down to, to planets anymore and, and fight Gorn like he used to, but he knows who to send and, and how to fight that Gorn. He has all that. And that's actually, in, in a lot of ways... Picard is kind of an extension of Kirk. He is, uh, you know, Kirk as an older man. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely see that. Um, I think it was Trek Nation where Rod Roddenberry was exploring the history of Star Trek, and he he brought up that Kirk is young, idealistic, headstrong Gene Roddenberry, and that Picard is older Gene Roddenberry, who's learned to delegate and to temper his emotion and to be more calm yeah that's definitely true so star trek 2 is where kirk learns that there is such thing as a no-win scenario and he loses his best friend spock where does the character go in star trek 3 well in star trek 3 i think he i think it's more that he cheats like he he cheats the universe and and makes it I don't know. I mean, my opinion in Star Trek 3 has gone wobbly-wobbly since listening to you and Max talk about it in your commentary. <laughs> but it does seem to kind of negate Star Trek 2 and the sacrifices that were made. I don't I don't follow the whole that Star Trek 3 is anti-science like, like Max does. But I can see that, that Star Trek 3 does have a problem of just kind of negating it. But one of the things that I think is so... Uh, back to Kirk wanting to sacrifice himself above others, but nobody letting that happen is when they help him steal the enterprise. He's like, look, I can do this on my own. You know, you guys can go, go off and deny everything. They're like, Nope, we're coming with you. I, I think it's about friendship and not only between Kirk and Spock, but the entire crew and Kirk and Spock that they're all putting their, their careers on the line for it. And and maybe that's what Kirk's lesson is in Star Trek Three is that you can't do everything yourself. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, the Star Star Trek Four, 
I mean, aside from the bookend stuff, I don't really know how much Kirk grows there. It's it's kind of a standalone story in a lot of he, ways. He learns about whales and how it's bad to hunt any animal to extinction. <laughs> Which I guess is an, an important lesson to uh, learn. Uh, Star Trek V is kind of a weird outlier in that uh, no one really cares about it. I I like the idea of the campfire bookends being actual mm-hmm. bookends. Like, I, I read a theory once where Star Trek V is Kirk's nightmare. <laughs> and, and, it, and I think that it works, because it's kind of a, you know, Kirk wants to retire and relax, but the galaxy's going to fall apart without him. Spock has this brother that never is mentioned before or since. McCoy... Everybody has to deal with their pain, and and Kirk is you know has to overcome. He has good moments. I mean, Star Trek Five has really good moments between the the three actors, between the the Kirk, Spock, McCoy, um, where Kirk you know says, "I want my pain. I need my pain." Maybe that maybe that's the moral of the story is that even if you could erase all of your past uh, pain and such, letting people die in your place. Maybe it all does come down back around to to sacrifice. Maybe maybe that's Kirk's hidden pain, is letting all of these other people die in his stead. And I, I think that... But that makes him who he is. He wouldn't be this extinctive shoot-from-the-hip guy if he didn't have all of this experience to draw from. That's fair enough. So... Star Trek Six really is kind of the the end of the character. I mean, I guess you could say Generations is, but what to me to me Star Trek Six. I'm not familiar with Generations. What? Huh? It's this movie. It came out in uh, 1994. It uh, it's got these the, like Professor X is in it. Oh, and, cool. Uh, um, the guy from Clockwork Orange. It's weird. it's weird. Yeah, it, it's weird. There's like time travel. At one point, Whoopi Goldberg shows up. I don't understand Whoopi exactly. Go- wow, from Sister it's Act. Crazy. That's weird. Well, it was the '90s. She was big. Okay, okay, I can see that. Yeah. So let's let's <laughs> skip that one. Let's just put that off to the side there for a second, and look at Star Trek VI. This is really sort of the end of it. It is, in a lot of ways, I think, the original series finale. Yes. You know, and. uh the character, I think, reaches a, a, a certain point which he hadn't been at for the entire series where he, in, in some ways, learns to stop being a, a bigot. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, it's true. Yeah, and, and I think that that's kind of interesting that they decided to address that. Yeah. You know, the, the there was a war going on in the original series, even if it was like a Cold War with the Klingons, and he was racist. He was very anti-Klingon. And that's not really brought up in the show because that's not what they were trying to to deal with. They were trying to deal with, well, they wanted the Klingons just to be the bad guy, right? right. But but you step away, and you know, 25 years later, you look at it with some distance, and you say, like, this is kind of messed up what this character was doing, you know? <laughs> And and for them to actually deal with that and have that character come to that realization himself, I think is pretty cool. Yeah, I think that the continuity, the the character arc in the movies is is very strong. They killed his son. I mean, you can't you can't blame. It's not like an irrational bigotry, but it's still blaming a whole species for something that one of them did to you, a rogue did to you, 
you know, recently. Right. Yeah. And that's obviously the the main thrust of it, but you know, it goes it goes back further than that too, which is cool. So when you look at the growth that is present in the character throughout the movies and how that really didn't exist at all in the original series, I think that has a lot to do with why I like the movies, generally speaking, a lot more than the original series. I don't know how you <laughs> feel about them or whatever. No, no, I can see that. But, I can see that. But to me, I mean, like, if, if you were to include the movies and the animated series and everything as part of the original series, let's exclude the JJ-verse for the time being, then I would say, like, my two favorite quote-unquote episodes of the original series are The Undiscovered Country and The Wrath of Khan. Yeah. How 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 do you feel the movies uh, relate back to the original series in, in that respect? You know, and, and the, the reason why I bring it up is because I think Kirk's development has a whole lot to do with that, a whole heck of a lot to do with that. So what, what do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, I guess, I guess taking... I've, I've always tried to separate the, the movies from the show. But yeah, I, I would agree with you, even on those two particular episodes being the best episodes, the best stories that that the original series crew told. What's what's weird about it, and this is something which always bothers me, and I know that it might be a weird thing for, for people to be bothered by it, but it's something which um, I think about a lot more in terms of Batman, where everyone will sort of immediately, you know, if you ask anyone what the best Batman comic is, they will say, oh, Dark Knight Returns. And while I don't agree with that, I always kind of thought that that was weird because Dark Knight Returns is the one where Batman is old and retired. At one point, he rides a horse. And it's like, I can see why people think this is the best, even though it's not. But it's not Batman in the traditional sense, and that mm-hmm. always bothered me. But for some reason, with the original series, I mean, you can say that same thing, like Star Trek VI. Okay, well, this is, you know, an older Kirk and a wiser Kirk in a sense. He's not doing the stuff that he does in the original series, and yet I do think it's way better than even the best episode of the original series. And even though it's not, quintessential TOS, I don't have a problem with saying it's the best. Well, I I think that would be the difference between it being Star Trek, the title, the the franchise, and not Kirk. Because Mm -hmm. a Batman story without Batman, or an old Batman, is weird to the the thing, to to the genre, but Star Trek is Star Trek, no matter if it's Kirk, Spock, Picard, Geordi, whatever. And I, I think that's the, the difference. We can, we group all of these things together. You know, we, we've separated them into these series for, for the, the Trek FM network. And it's, it's hard to look at them individually because they are the franchise of which TOS is the core. Like, like we started this conversation, the movies being, yeah, you can tell a story where Kirk is old. And it be the best story that the the franchise to up to that point could tell because it's the franchise and it's not just the story of Kirk. I agree with what you're saying, 
But let me ask you that. Let, let me ask you this. Was that true prior to Next Generation? When all we had was the original series, would you still say that? No. No, I, I don't because, think that I would. Because Kirk is, in a lot of ways, the, the heart and soul of the original series. And the only reason why I think we can distance ourselves from him, in a sense, is because we have since had hundreds of hours of Star Trek without him. And, and I mean, that's why I think a lot of people were resistant to Next Generation. You know, it's it's a new crew. What? No Kirk? No Spock? Screw that. That's not even Star Trek, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. I mean, I, it's hard, you know, as someone who hasn't um, experienced a world without the Next Generation, at least in a practical sense, to trying to, to think about what it was like when there was only the original series. I think back then the characters uh, were a lot more important to the makeup of the franchise than they are now. You know, now everyone is talking about, you know, what, what the new series will be when we get a new series. Will it be in the Prime Universe or the JJ-verse? You know, if it is in the Prime Universe, will it be in the same time period as this or that or whatever? You know, whereas, like you're saying, like with Batman... If someone were to say, like, oh, there's going to be a new Batman movie and it's going to be about, you know, Mr. Batman Beyond and not uh, Bruce Wayne, people would be like, what, are you crazy? <laughs> you know? But it's, it seems like we've gotten to a point now where, like, we can give up Kirk. And in, in some instances, I think people want to give up Kirk, which is kind of weird. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that thought. <laughs> it's just a weird random thought. No, no. I, I understand what you're saying. And I, I keep going back and forth between trying to think like TOS, trying to think in the 60s mindset, which is hard being born in the 80s, and balancing it with the with the franchise that we have now. So we wanted to close in talking about the uh, the glories of, of Mr. William, I don't know his middle name, Shatner. Scott. William Scott Shatner. <laughs> We're going to get an email about that. <laughs> it's not Scott... I'm too lazy to put the laptop down, get up, and go to that book over there. I can almost reach it, but <laughs> so William Shatner, he he was not really a huge name at the point where where they cast him. He'd been in a couple. He was Shakespearean trained, like most good actors uh, from Canada, which is odd. But <laughs> although the weird thing, which which I will say, which I didn't re really realize, and I think this is part of sort of like the legend of William Shatner and how he, you know, lived in a trailer and then got a job working on Star Trek and it changed his life. And while all of that is true, he was definitely an up-and-coming star. And, um, you know, reading the, the These Are the Voyages book, uh, you see that everyone was kind of like, when they got Shatner, like, that was a big deal. Really? They were like... This guy is definitely a. I mean, he wasn't. He was essentially like an up and coming TV star. You know, mm -hmm. they're like this guy is good. He's definitely the most uh, famous and and well established actor in the original cast. He's a substantial upgrade over Jeffrey Hunter, and um, the idea that someone like him would agree to be in a science fiction show was kind of a big deal. I did not know that. I didn't know that either. 
But yeah, even back then, people were like, this guy's good. Yeah, because even the way that Shatner says it, he's like, I was plucked from obscurity to be in this science Mm -hmm. fiction show. No, yeah, there was like, I I can't remember if he was like going to be on another show and that show got canceled or something. But yeah, no, he was definitely, and it was like a risk for him because he was on his way up and doing this show could have set him back, you know, just like Nimoy, same thing, you know. But luckily he took the job. Yes. Shatner is, I'm going to say things that I don't necessarily agree with. Shatner is Kirk, or at least he was necessary to establish the character at the beginning. People make fun of his, you know, like, oh, you know, Shatner can't act. And he stops and pauses randomly. But that's rare. It's like the, the whole red shirt thing. It's definitely something that somebody watched a random episode or two. And was just like, this is terrible. Well, Shatner's trying to make the best of whatever terrible episode you just watched. I noticed in the third se- season he does do a lot of the stereotypical pausing and, and speaking really fast. I mean, p- people criticize that. I think that that's ridiculous. He's not being realistic in any way, but he it's stylized. And it's a very specific style, and it's one which works. William Shatner is an excellent actor. Mm-hmm. He is my favorite actor. Is he the best actor in the world? Maybe not, but I you will never hear me say that he is not the best actor in the world. Uh, and I'm convinced at this point that he is constantly acting. Like yeah, like I agree. like I feel that he has this William Shatner character that he yeah. does portray on a daily basis. Like, like he's got so many layers. It's like an onion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't but think... But doesn't stink. I don't think that anybody is, is, you know, this arrogant, you know, let's talk about me kind of thing. I, I feel like, like he's constantly acting and no one can see it. So that means that he's a great actor. <laughs> I, I would agree with that. I think he is full of himself, but that's fine. You know, he's earned it, I guess. Yeah, he's every right um, to be. Yeah. But I no, I think that he's he's an amazing actor, and I think that he's only getting better. I think if you you look at sort of like uh, the the way that his career has gone since, I mean, really free enterprise as I see it, he has essentially decided to hone his comedic skills. Yes, and he's a really funny guy. People didn't like bleep. My dad says. Which mm-hmm. I watched. I watched every episode because it was Shatner. And it was right. great. Shatner owned that role. I mean, it was a comedic role where he was just a grumpy old man. And it was easy for him to do. I mean, look at uh, Boston Legal. Yeah. I mean, he was winning Emmys for that stuff. They don't just hand out Emmys to, you know, cheesy 60s actors past their prime. They... Right. They He's not past his prime. No. He's in his prime right now. And that's what's the most incredible. He he's like wine. He gets better with age, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like you see some of the stuff that he does, and you think about the fact that he's eighty-two years old, and it's just like, what? I mean, like I went to see when he was doing his one-man show. I, I went to see him when he was here in Chicago, and it was just like, wow, you know, for a guy, for anyone to be able to command the stage for you know an hour and a half or however long it was but you know for for an 80 year old to do it that's impressive that's really really impressive 
Shatner is king. He's the best. And he and he has managed to outgrow the the Kirk role, I think. Not not as well as as other captains seem to have, except for I don't know what Avery Brooks is doing nowadays, but drugs, obviously. <laughs> but uh Kate Mulgrew has Orange's new black, where she's a completely different character from Janeway. Patrick Stewart is just everywhere at all times doing everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you don't like him as this stereotype, here he is as this one. You know, like, oh, well, there's Captain Picard in this. But like we made, you know, we said earlier, there's Professor X. You know, he's got all of these classic roles, these these genre roles that, that he just goes into. But Shatner, he, he, I mean, even as iconic as Denny Crane is, it's not as iconic as Captain Kirk. No. And and I feel that he will always. I, mean, I feel like he'll have it on his tombstone. You know, I was James freaking Kirk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and rightfully so. There there was the time where he was the get a life part, which was a skit on SNL that people took seriously. A skit on SNL that people took seriously. I don't know. It was a different time, different era, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but he's he's always been proud of it, and uh, his recent documentaries that he's been doing show that he is proud of the franchise as a whole. the The captain's thing, where he interviews everybody, including uh, Christopher Pine, and now I hear he's working on a a documentary about the Next Generation, which he had yeah. nothing to do with. Which I don't think he's even seen. Which he wasn't even in that movie. He wasn't even in that movie, movie that he was in. That that was a crossover movie. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, it's been really fun talking about William Kirk Chatner today. But this is just one of the uh, Trek topics we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. So here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, The Orb. Looking for Parlock in all the wrong places. Well, and you also get the feeling here that she's only... I mean, Worf really is only being rejected because she's not interested. It has nothing to do with whether or not Worf is Klingon enough or any of that. She's just not interested. She's interested in Quark. Earl Grey. The Holodeck. Alexander Rojinko was conceived on the holodeck. (laughs) That's exactly right. In Worf's calisthenics program with Skeletor watching because he was just frozen there and he couldn't look away. The ready room. The man trap. Well, it wasn't what Roddenberry wanted to do with it. It was what uh, the the writer, George Clayton Johnson, wanted to do with it. But it was basically making the character more sympathetic. To the journey! The doctor. But I love that moment when Chakotay, like, uh, was projecting himself into the room. And, like, he, he totally, like, kneels down. And gets super serious and calm like Chakotay does. He's like, he's like, what you've shown us is, it's not what you're made of, but what you do or how you feel. You know, like, <laughs> you just start to get like, and like even in like season two, they start to realize the Doctor is not just a hologram. He is becoming something more. Commentary: Trek stars. Caprica. Prequels are sort of uh, a constant trap that people end up going to. You know, the, this thing was successful uh, and it ended. Well, let's go before it ended and tell a different story. Warp 5. Klingons on Enterprise. Having the Klingons at the very beginning of the series running through that field, do you think that was born out of the discomfort that the studio had in the idea of the prequel series to begin with? Trek News and Views. 
Don't make it time. Bold shirts are easily ripped and disposable. Yeah. Blue shirts self-replicate so that they you know show no damage, and red shirts whisk away sweat. Yeah, yeah. they're highly absorbent. There you go. So that you can't tell that your security awesome. guards are nervous. Literary treks. David R. George the Third, Revelation and Dust. And it feels like an evolution for Starfleet as well in the way that they built a star base. Well, I'm glad that came across because that was sort of one of the things that I was going for. You wanted to be an evolution in Starfleet's construction of star bases. Mm-hmm. It should be something brand new. And because it's an important station, because it's in an important location, it, it really needed to be, I thought, uh, a grand station. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out those shows and get on on the daily Shatner talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can stream and download files from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. If you want to get a hold of us to tell us how awesome William Shatner is, uh, you can just go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. You can choose send to show and choose standard orbit and make the subject line Shatner is the greatest. And that will come to both of us. Uh, you can use the tab on the right-hand side of any page to send us a voicemail where you can do your Shatner impressions, and maybe we'll play them on the air. Uh, or you can talk to us and other listeners in our forums at trek.fm slash forums. In social media, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and then on Twitter under username at trek.fm. So, Mike, where can people tell the glories of uh, William Shatner directly to you? Well, you can uh, find me on Twitter at ComTrackStars. Uh, you can also find me on Trek FM doing commentary Trek Stars with my co-host Max. And you can find our other show, Commentary Track Stars Off Topic, on CommentaryTrackStars.com. And you can find me on Twitter at 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E. You can find me on the TOS episodes of The Ready Room and Trek News and Views, and we're, we're both invited to all kinds of podcasts, so just, just keep an eye out, and we'll retweet them for you. But before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor for today's show. Squarespace is the web's best hosting and CMS that makes it simple for you to create a beautiful blog, website, portfolio, online store, or anything else you can imagine. Create your own space today. Just go to squarespace.com for your free 14-day trial, no credit card required. Then use offer code TREK10 to save 10%. You're going to love it, and we really thank Squarespace for their support of Standard Orbit and Trek FM. Also, if you would personally like to support Standard Orbit, the network, or our programming, visit trek.fm slash donate. We have eight alien-themed badges and art prints as a thank you for your contribution, and you can mix and match badges and art prints. There are different levels of donation to choose from, and your contributions help us cover the cost of production, storage, and bandwidth needed to bring Standard Orbit and our other shows to you every week. Unfortunately, they do not have a Shatner badge. Oh, well, what can you do? Maybe maybe in the next wave. I hope so. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It's the will of Landru. Mr. Chekhov, take us out of orbit. Ahead, walk factor one. Hi, sir. 